There's a troubling ritual in this week's Parsha Nassau. If a husband suspects his wife of infidelity, Numbers 5 instructs him to bring her to the priest. The priest then bears the wife's head and makes her drink the Mehamarim, the waters of bitterness, a strange potion made of sanctified water and literally earth from the tabernacle floor. The priest then explains that if the wife is innocent, she will be immune from harm from the potion. But if she is guilty of adultery, the water will cause the belly to distend and the thigh to sag. The belly to distend and the thigh to sag. It certainly sounds bad, but it's not exactly clear from the text what the affliction that the Torah is describing is. There's a range of commentaries on this vague passage. For example, Dr. Amy Kalmanovsky argues that the damage is generally related to the wife's fertility. Numbers 5.28 states, If the wife has not defiled herself and is pure, she shall be unharmed and able to retain seed. So the thinking is that if an innocent woman is able to conceive, then in contrast, a guilty woman must be rendered infertile. Dr. Sharon Keller, on the other hand, thinks that the text is much narrower than that. She thinks that the potion induces a miscarriage. Keller imagines a scenario in which a woman becomes pregnant and her husband suspects that he is not the father. He grows jealous and brings her to the priest. So the ritual is really about paternity. If the child is the husband's, then the wife will have a successful pregnancy. But if the child is not his, she will miscarry. Ultimately, in the biblical context, an intact pregnancy after this ritual is sufficient proof that the husband fathered the child. So miscarriage is a punishment for women's infidelity. How can we wrest meaning from such a seemingly misguided and difficult text? On the one level, finding such meaning can seem impossible. The text comes from an ancient culture which connected women's fertility to moral behavior in ways that now deeply trouble us. But the text is not our only obstacle here. Even today in the 21st century, even in San Francisco, our language and even our worldview at times seem inadequate to fully address this issue. I want to take a moment from the onset to say that I deliberated a lot over the last week about whether or not to give this sermon. I'm aware of the sensitivities of this topic and how, as a woman of childbearing age, this is a deeply personal, personal topic. But I think that Judaism has something to teach us about this. We struggle with miscarriage because we do not really understand the nexus of life and death. We know in many ways how to talk about death after a long life. We have thousands of years of rituals and traditions to engage with. 
but we do not always know how to talk about death before life begins. Recently, I was asked to speak on a panel about the Jewish views on abortion. I explained that as Reformed Jews who have studied our traditional texts, we believe that life begins at birth and that a fetus does not have the same status as a mother who is a breathing human being. Historically, the Reform movement has a strong pro-choice agenda. And while we certainly do not take abortion lightly, we leave it up to the individual to decide what is best for her. In retrospect, when I think back to that panel, throughout the program, I was very careful to use the word fetus to emphasize that it was not yet a baby in the eyes of Jewish law, and therefore abortion was not tantamount to murder. And yet in that same week, I met with a congregant who had recently had a very painful miscarriage. And I found myself saying, baby. Because that member of our community felt like she had lost a baby. After several years of trying to get pregnant, she and her partner were so excited that they were going to be parents. They spent hours imagining the life of their son or daughter. They planned birthdays and vacations, flipped through name books, and shopped for cute onesies. But after the miscarriage, they were left feeling inadequate and empty, like something was wrong with them. Regardless of what the Jewish texts or the medical journals taught them, they felt real grief. The two scenarios are seemingly about the same objective circumstances, and yet they require very different pastoral reactions. And this is our central dilemma. This is the complexity of life for us. How do we embrace a potential life while also respecting a woman's right to choose? And how do we bridge the gap, not just in our language, but also in our relationships? Today, in times of joy, we share so much in public and immediate ways. Recently, a friend posted a sonogram image online with the comment, the IVF worked, we're pregnant. Yet in times of sadness, our impulse to reach out to community and our community's comfort in responding weakens. In my first year here, I have listened in private to devastating stories of loss. Many women feel incredibly alone. They feel like either no one wants to talk about it or people don't know what to say because they've been socialized to avoid the topic to begin with. Although more than one in five pregnancies results in miscarriage, it does not feel that way to them. So given all of that, I reflect on the fact that ritual is a critical building block of Jewish life. And in many ways, Jews are experts at rituals around death, from sitting shiva to reciting the yard site, to reciting Kaddish at a yard site. But our tradition has been unusually silent when it comes to the loss of potential life. 
For generations we have not buried stillborns or given children Hebrew names until after eight days. And in the past, when miscarriage and infant mortality was much more common, we can appreciate why the community would act this way. But the reality is different today. Regardless of what you believe about the science or the politics, Jewish tradition teaches us to be where the family is, to be sad with them and to give them support and however we can. So how do we acknowledge and talk about miscarriage? How do we find ways to mark this real loss? I am certainly not the only voice raising these questions. There are many current efforts to ritualize the loss of a miscarriage, from new liturgy to express the pain in prayer, to ceremonies at the mikvah to bring a sense of spiritual cleansing. On this Shabbat, I want to lift up just one example within our own community. Congregant Abby Porth recently wrote to me, A friend and I who have suffered from pregnancy losses are creating the memory garden. Located at Eternal Home, the Jewish cemetery in Kolma, it will recognize the importance and value of Jewish memorial space for grappling with death and loss and for healing. The memory garden will serve as a sacred place for mourning and prayer for those grieving for a life not yet fulfilled. Abby is open to sharing more about this beautiful idea with our community, so please let me know after services if you would like to contact her and learn more. There are no easy answers to such complex issues, but I do think that we need to develop rituals like this, rituals like Abby's, because ritual places personal experience in the public realm where it can be witnessed, dealt with, and shared. We need to recognize the grieving family's loss through a Jewish frame. We need to acknowledge that they have changed. While they are not parents, at least not in this case, they have changed. And we need to say to them, you are not alone. Shabbat Shalom.